Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Roddenverse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The King Chronicles, The Red Pyramid, Chapter 7, I Drop a Little Man on His Head, and Chapter 8, Muffin Plays with Knives, all of which are in Sadie's point of view. As always, I have my points to focus on, so today we've got setup, mythology, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. With some preteen rebellion, our siblings receive a backstory on what the demon days are and the gods they'll be dealing with. But of course, it's all just chaos from here as danger lands at their doorstep. Long necks are fighting their crocodile and making their way into Brooklyn House. All they have to save them? is a cat, but at least she knows how to use knives. And that is the synopsis for these two chapters. And I don't know if if you can tell just how how I'm speaking, but this book is bringing me so much joy. Like, honestly, the Kane Chronicles are so underrated. I'm planning to do so much more Kane Chronicles related content on my YouTube channel as well, because the inspiration that I'm feeling for these books uh, knows no bounds at current so I'm looking forward to it beyond all measures and I, I'm i ready to dive in. So let's start with chapter 7 and the overview for that chapter. So chapter 7, I drop a little man on his head and the overview is as follows. Sadie, being the devious younger sibling, convinces Carter that they should enter the library. With an exploding door courtesy of Sadie, the two head inside and find a vast room that makes no sense in its shape, but was beautiful all the same. The room isn't a library in in our sense, at least. Instead, it has rows filled with rolls of papyrus with stories in them. And then we meet the Shabti. After gaining some insight as to what happened to their father and how, more than likely, he has died... They become frustrated and aren't too sure what to do. So they continue their research and find that the Cain family can be dated back to ancient Egypt with the blood of the pharaohs. A little taken aback, they push back on this information and continue looking around. And that's when they find the plot. They learn of the five gods who have been released by their father. Osiris, Horus, Isis, Set and Nephthys, who were born on the last five days of the year. The first of those five days is two days away from now, and if they don't stop Set before then, the Red Lord, well, they'll be doomed. (laughs) Before they can think any more on that, they hear a giant crash in the hall 
that sends them running to investigate. Now, I don't have too much feedback for this chapter because I'm actually waiting to get into the main main bits of it. But one thing I want to say is that straight away in this, we are, how many pages in? We are, and I know I'm going to keep talking about this. So with those two chapters, we're 114 pages in. And we already have a mini hint slash setup for books from now. Like the, one of these, I think maybe for, for the last book, actually, there's a reference to it in the second book, but it's mainly for the last one. And um, so I'm, I'm seeing you, Book of Slaying Apophis, and I understand your importance. Uh, we also get um, a few hints um, in relation to another character, particularly a god and their importance as well with Nephthys, in the fact that Carter says that he always forgets about Nephthys being part of um, the five gods that were born on brand new days. They were created, these days were created specifically um, for these five new deities, but he always forgets about Nephthys, which is also a small little hint. Uh, the only thing that I would like to say, uh, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later on actually in the mythology section, is that the only disappointing thing that I've got currently is that Set has been labelled as the bad guy of Egyptian mythology. Because as we learn later on, even in this main series, that's not true. <laughs> He was one of the protectors of Ra, like he plays an important role in the battles that the gods face, like, and just in general, like, like we saw in Percy Jackson and most, like, pantheon-based mythologies, um, gods aren't just evil and good, like, there is a mixture between them, like, there's, they're all shades of grey, um, but yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I'm liking, I'm liking them getting a bit more of the plot as well, so we, we already know we've got our deadline. And again, I'll talk about that a little bit more in the narrative setup. We've got the deadline, we've got um, the aims of what our characters need to do, which is to s stop the Demon Days situation happening, um, saving their father and that as well. So we have we have all the parts of the story that we need. And um, it's just, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled, people. <laughs> um, but with that, let's go into the next chapter, which is chapter eight. Muffin plays with knives. And this is the overview. Troubles arrived and no, hold on. Trouble has arrived and Philip of Macedonia is in the thick of it as he battles two terrifying serpent cat creatures. Sacrificing himself to protect the siblings, Philip and the monsters fall into the East River. But Carter fears this isn't the last of them. Gaining information from the Shapti to get the Nyama the Nama palette, Carter remembers the story of the Serpapards, creatures of chaos that existed in ancient Egypt. Unfortunately for them, they're not ancient anymore, and their drop into the river wasn't enough to stop them. They're now back with a vengeance. As the siblings watch the creatures search for a way in, Khufu offers Sadie Muffin for reasons. Too soon, the Serpapards find a weakness, and grabbing a weapon, Carter and Sadie stand terrified and ready to probably fight. Thankfully for them, a human cat in the form of Muffin explodes into the fight and takes the monsters down, turning them to sand. Without time to explain before more trouble, com before more trouble comes, 
not Muffin, must take the siblings to a nearby obelisk in Manhattan, even though they're not really happy to be going to Manhattan. It is then revealed that not Muffin is in fact Bast, goddess of cats, and she's going to get them to safety. I'm in love with this book. (laughs) The stakes are raising and I am loving it. Not only do we have this threat of danger of, you know, something is following, something's been sent to follow and stop them and kill them or either bring them to to the leader, depending on, we don't actually know what their intention was, because obviously Bass dealt with them quite quickly. But, um, it's just, I'm, I'm really thrilled. I also like the fact that we're getting the sense already that characters aren't safe. Like, Philip has fallen, we assume, to his death. Like, he never returned. We don't actually know what's happened to him, so we're afraid for his fate. Kufu has also been injured, and we don't actually know what's happened to him either. Um, and I like that because we feel this sense of anxiety for these characters. Like, hey, these two beings that Sadie has already gotten attached to, to the point that she was ready to go outside to save Philip of Macedonia, even though she didn't know what to do and was told, you know, don't leave this building if you want to live. Um, it kind of just shows that no one is safe, like people are going to get hurt. Um, but just in relation to Sadie, actually, I thought it was really interesting to show like how quickly God, uh, Sadie got attached to these characters. Like, I have a feeling this is just like a like a theorizing situation that it's connected to her abandonment issues with her dad. Like, she's in a new environment. There are new people. They're looking after her, so she's immediately latched onto them because they're you know they're protecting her. They're showing her affection and kindness, um, and so she's quickly built up this network of you know care for them and very quickly it's been ripped out from underneath her of uh, Philip falling to we assume his death and Khufu also probably very badly injured Um, but just as a whole and this is just what I quite like I like that we have this feeling that these kids aren't safe because it does add to this tension as we read of what's going to happen next how are they going to be kept safe like what is Bass going to be doing but then with the Bass situation how the heck was Bast Sadie's cat? <laughs> like a god was Sadie's cat. <laughs> um, so this twist of the fact that Muffin isn't just a regular cat, um, but a goddess in disguise is pretty, pretty cool. Um, and I'm assuming we'll be getting some more information about that in the coming chapters. Also a reference to like when uh, Khufu hands Muffin still in cat form to Sadie and the creatures get in. Sadie has this uh, moment of being like, oh yeah, Amos said that Muffin would protect us. So she throws the cat um, and just like, Muffin, protect us. And the cat just does nothing for a little period of time. She's like, for God's sake, why did I think something was going to happen? And then the cat explodes and Bast appears. Um, And I just, it's very, very cool. I quite like that. but um, yeah, I just I just like how all this is going. Like we we're getting all of our situations set up, which is to, I guess to get into the the main discussion points, which is the narrative setup, because we have our call to action. Like not only do we have the names of the gods, so the ones that we're going to be dealing with and figuring out, you know, where have they gone? How do we deal with them? 
how are we going to be dealing with set and all that sort of stuff like they've escaped and need to be returned but we also have our timeline for when it needs to be done by i will admit and this is just this is more just like a personal taste thing i don't mind deadlines i think deadlines are good because you've got a good setup for how like your passage of time is going but when it's a really short deadline like they only have two days um it is kind of just a teeny bit annoying but it is an adventure series and like this is kind of rick's formula in general just like really short timelines so it kind of makes sense that the timeline is uh is quite small and like i guess it, it kind of adds to ramping up the tension of like oh my god these kids only have two days to figure out what they are what to do do they have magic how do they use it all these sort of things in two days to stop this god from destroying america um and probably then the rest of the world i assume um but yeah it's just it's it's interesting but we also then have the push into action when the creatures arrive and this introduction of the new godly figure in the form of bast so we have the call to action of these are the gods this is the timeline but we're then being pushed into the action going instead of like and i know i'm going to keep going back to uh, the lost hero the lost hero we had our calls to action but it just took so long for anything to then follow that up like it would take forever for the action for us to actually go into the action we'd have the call then like maybe four five chapters later we'd then get the push into it Whereas here we've gotten the quarter action and in a sense the push into action in the same like in the same period of time. Because well, it's in two chapters. We get the quarter action in chapter seven, we get the push into action in chapter eight. Like that's just it's just it's keeping things going. The pacing this is the thing, the pacing is really good because things are running smoothly. Nothing is feeling like it's going on for too long, nothing is feeling like it's dragging out and i really really like that um just to go into the whole bast situation um we have a little bit of a setup for the characters so for sadie and carter of when bast comes in and she's like ah so we've we've got to we've got to get away from here and get somewhere safe sadie open the duat for us please and she's just like wait what (laughs) i don't know how to do that um to which bast is like okay so we're gonna have to take we're gonna have to take the traditional route of going um through the obelisk um and i just thought it was just a really interesting snippet and it kind of makes me wonder what sort of powers sadie's gonna have but also carter because currently we've only seen more of what sadie can do instead of what carter can do so we've got this little bit set up of the possibility of like sadie's skill of using the duat um for travel so maybe in the next coming chapters alongside figuring out a bit more about bast will figure out a bit more of what Carter and Sadie can actually do. Um, mainly Carter, admittedly, though. I would say mainly Carter, because we don't really know much of what Carter can do. Um, we've only seen him raise his hand to open a door. <laughs> um, we we don't really know anything else, but we know that Sadie can use the hieroglyphic spells of just saying the word, and it does the thing. Um, although she's a bit too intense because she managed to blow, open, like, blow up a door. <laughs> um... But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of their powers as well because I feel like we've got a bit of a setup there as well. But to go into the mythology aspect just a little bit more, um, and I will say I kind of get 
where some of the disappointment elements come in for people who are more knowledgeable for um like ancient egyptian and just general egyptian mythology because and this is the thing admittedly this is very much rick's thing and admittedly it's just it's very much just a mythology based thing or i guess more uh what's it what's the word that i want to say um modern interpretations like how we look at mythologies now we label gods as whether or not they would be good or bad when really in reality no none of the gods were good and none of the gods were bad they were all a mixture of both things but we put like the whole like Ares is only a bad god because you know he's the he's the brutal side of war but like you know he did lots of good things in mythology as well um, it's the same with Set. Like Set has immediately been labelled in the actual text as the evil god, um, and him being this villain, I I'm not too fussed with him being a villainous character because like he's done bad things in mythology. But labelling him as only an evil character, when even in the series itself that isn't true, is is slightly disappointing because. I know it's just it's it just reminds me of like the Hercules like the Disney Hercules film of like Hades being the villain just because he represents death when really Zeus is the villain (laughs) more than anything like he's done a few good things but more than anything Zeus is just a dick (laughs) um but in most mythological like retellings he's not really that he's not really portrayed in that even in Percy Jackson He's not really shown to be the actual portrayal that he is in mythology. Same with Poseidon as well. But it's always the gods that represent death or chaos. So things that we automatically see as wrong and evil. That they are then labelled as the evil god. Even though that's not true. Because like Set is one of these cases. Because yeah he's done some bad things in mythology. But he is like I mentioned. One of the protectors of Ra. And that was like a huge thing. Like being a protector of Ra. And fighting along his side. And you know just being so. Uh, being important to how the mythology works. Because I think he was on. A journey that Ra does around the sun. I believe Set is part of that journey. Or something. So he plays like a. An important role in the cycle of life in a sense um but he's also fought alongside god to like stop apophis and um you know he yeah he's one of the gods who creates the deserts and stuff but you know the deserts aren't bad either <laughs> like i just know i don't know it just feels like because of what he represents they were kind of, like Rick just went oh yeah because of his representation in mythology we'll just have him be the antagonist again I don't have an issue with him being an antagonist but I just rather he wasn't labeled evil because he's he he's not um but to go into the other um god so we have the introduction of Bast as well which is really interesting um because she's been in cat form we assume probably from the get-go from the moment that she was gifted to Sadie Bast was inside Muffin (laughs) um but we don't really get much about who she is or like her abilities or her story at the moment 
Um, the only thing we know is how flexible she is and like how intense she is as, an, as a fighter, but that's kind of it at the moment. It's enough currently for me to be like, yes, Bast, you're a queen. Um, but in general, I'm looking forward to us learning more about her in the text, and I assume that we probably will. Um, but as a whole, this is just the thing. I've, I'm really disappointed that the King Chronicles is so flip, slept on in the Wildenverse fandom because things are progressing so well in this series. Like, I don't know. It's just we've got the setup, we've got the narrative, we've got hints of of what will be occurring in future books. We're getting senses of power structures already with Carter and Sadie, although again, like more Sadie than Carter at the moment. Things are progressing, um, and the pacing for it just flows really well. Like I've I've not gotten to the point where I'm bored reading, um, which I can sometimes not bored in the in that sense. I don't think that's the best way to describe it. But like even going through the Percy Jackson, I'm doing my two chapters at a time analysis situation. There are moments like you can't, you kind of feel. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe what I mean. I don't know what I mean, <laughs> but I don't know. It's just there's something about the Kane Chronicles and just how it's written and just the flow of it, and just how well things are progressing in the story. It's just keeping me more grasped than any of the books that I've read so far. Even my favorite ones, like my favorite book, is The Last Olympian. Um, occasionally the titan's curse but you know that goes back and forth but i think my favorite now is actually probably going to be the red pyramid um out of the whole series because it's just it's keeping my interest more than anything even those two that were my favorites there were issues that i do have with it and currently even though i've brought up a few things that i'm kind of frustrated about that's appeared in the text mainly from a british perspective um and just a few like things that I noticed um in terms of like um race issues in the in the stories themselves either way I'm more invested in this story than I've been in any of the others at the moment so I'm really looking forward to actually keep going through this and getting more information getting just getting more from the story so I hope um everyone listening is enjoying this as well because the King Chronicles needs more hype and hopefully I'm going to be providing that to all of you so um, I just, I guess to just kind of summarise, I'm loving these chapters, I'm loving that we have our call to action so we know our timeline, we know what we need to do, we know what Carter and Sadie need to get done, um, so I'm looking forward to, to that coming through. Um, but obviously to the part that you are all waiting for, which is the question of the episode, which will go up on our social media, which is, what do you think about the portrayal of Set being only villainous? Would you say that is accurate to mythology? So that'll be going up tomorrow um, on Instagram and Twitter. So be sure to go check that out and drop me your answers or email them in if you have a bit more detail that you would like to provide. Um, but yeah, thank you all for joining me for these chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our own verse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher and Deezer. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. 
If you want to email me with your thoughts, you can email thebestdamecap at hotmail.com or become a podcast patron over at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of fran, where you can now start to gain access to my brand new podcast with fellow Percy Jackson podcasters, Entering Storybrooke, which is a once upon a time, the ABC show, rewatch and analysis podcast. The first episode will be out at this point, so go check it out. Um... And, uh, yeah, so you can get early access to all those things and other perks for the podcasts. Um, want more Percy Jackson content in general? Check me out on YouTube at A Healthy Dose of Fran. And if you want to support my writing, because my first novel is coming out next year, be sure to drop me a follow at A Dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. I'll see, shall I speak to you all next time. Bye.